year, a couple of years ago, this is a true story. I'm not, I'm not exaggerating just because Clay is here. It's really true. I told Brooke, Brooke, at some point when we, if and when we plan a church, I said, I already know who I want my first guest speaker to be. And I said, it's, my professor, it's Clay Jones, my professor from Biola. And that was, I'm literally, we're talking a couple of years ago. And then at some point, not that long ago, Brooke and I were talking with Joe and Stacy, and I mentioned that again. And Joe and Stacy mentioned, we know Clay. And I just felt like the Lord has just put this together. When I was in the Master's in Apologetics program, the MA in Apologetics at Biola, uh, my Clay's class was Why God Allows Evil. And with, I, I'm not exaggerating. It was absolutely life-changing for me. Um, you know, I wrote a paper in that class on God's goodness and hell's existence. And what, what happened to me in that class, it was like there was a part of me where I felt like I was what before I was watching God in black on a black and white TV, and all of a sudden it became color. Aspects of God, um, areas of the Lord that all of a sudden just became alive to me. And it impacted me so deeply when I went on to Regent University to get my THM. Um, my thesis was really the result of things that the Lord was planning in my heart in that class about God's attribute of justice, his activity of judgment, um, about the severity of sin, about the depth of mercy. And my, I don't want to scare any of you, my thesis at Regent was actually titled A Theological and Moral Framework for Divine Violence. And, but a lot of what was in there was already percolating when I was in Clay's class. And, and so it was just a very rich, rich time for me. So anyways, why don't you come on up, Clay? Thank you. Thank you. I am honored to be here, and it's kind of, kind of frankly blown away to be here, uh, because the very first church that I was a full-time pastor in, oh, 40 years ago, uh, was called Calvary, uh, was called the Vineyard uh, Yorba Linda. And uh, so it's weird, 40 years later, and I hadn't thought about it. I, I, you are my hiding place. We sang at the Vineyard Yorba Linda 40 years ago. <laughs> and that is where indeed where I met Stacy in, in the college and career group. And uh, I'm just, and I, I knew Sam, you know, as a student. And his father, Len, and I, I know it, and I'd met Patty too, his father, Len, uh, was my professor, uh, a, a counseling professor many years, many years ago, uh, and anyway, I'm really honored, I'm just really, really honored to be here, and I love singing, You're in My Hiding Place again. I am talking about your eternal occupation, that's what I'm talking about. What's your eternal occupation? And at the outset, let me just say, we have a problem, and I think it's, it may be Satan's best work, and that is... Satan has made heaven look like a place you don't want to go. And what I mean by that is, uh, he has made heaven look like um, you're going to be sitting on a cloud, strumming a harp, sporting flightless wings, and singing forever. None of those things is true. Not one of those things is true. Uh, and so as a result, I was teaching a class of undergrads. Mostly I taught in the master's program, but once in a while I'd teach a class of undergrads. And 
and this blonde came up to me. She's, I'd say, 24, 25 years old, and she came up. She fought back tears as she confessed to me that she was afraid she didn't want to go to heaven. And I'm like, whoa, what? This is, like I say, probably 17 years ago. And, and I'm like, what? So I go into our department office, and there's a brunette, uh, giving you a little bit of color here, um, <laughs> probably 25, 26, sitting behind the desk, one of the women that worked in our office. And I told her, I said, yeah, you know, this gal fought back tears as she confessed to me. She was afraid she didn't want to go to heaven. And she said, I have the same fear. And I went, huh, that's very interesting that people are actually afraid of heaven because you know the scripture tells us to set our hope fully on the grace to be given us when Jesus Christ is revealed and it, you can't do that if you go heaven's going to really be a terribly sucky place to be uh, you can't do that um, and so I'm going to deal with one aspect of and by the way just to just clear this up uh, one of the things that we need to get straight is heaven by the, is most often in the Old and New Testament compared to a banquet um, and rem remember, we're invited to the wedding supper of the Lamb. It's most often compared to a banquet. In Isaiah, it says that we will be eating uh, fatted meat and aged wine. Uh, in other words, well-marbled steaks and the good stuff. And that's, you know, I mean, most often, and by the way, Jesus ate and drank in his post-resurrection body. And so we expect to do that. And just one more thing before I get into my actual talk for today. One more thing that's important is, God made all the pleasures. He made them all. Uh, and, and in the screw tape letter, C.S. Lewis does a great job with this, with the senior tempter Wormwood talking uh, uh, to, uh, uh, screw tape talking to Wormwood, and he says, he made, the enemy made all the pleasures. We haven't made any of them, but we're working on it. Uh, and so the, the Lord is the one that made the pleasure of food and drink and sex and all the good stuff there. He made that. Uh, and the pleasures there, he made those. And so we should expect to have those, not necessarily all those pleasures, but what, if we're missing something that we like here that we don't have there, we should expect better things in its place. So I'm going to just deal today with one of these facets, the idea that your occupation is singing nonstop, that's not true. Your occupation is reigning with Christ forever. That's your eternal occupation, is reigning with Jesus Reign, let's just make sure we're clear, means to have a kingly rule. Reigning and ruling mean basically the same thing. They're synonyms. Endure means to stay put in hardship or to overcome. And, and it's, some of you, when you were kids, may have played King of the Hill. I surely did. And who was the idea of, you You know, you got a mound of sand and, and you push, so the, you know, you want to see who's going to be standing on the top of the hill. So you push, you try to jump up there and push one of the kids off. And for the kid to, re to reign on the top of that hill, he has to resist other kids pushing him off, uh, off of the hill. That's king of the hill. And so to reign, you have to conquer. And, and by the way, you, you all know of Nike tennis shoes. That's a Greek word. Nike is a Greek word, and it means to overcome or conquer. That's what the Greek word Nike means, is to overcome or conquer. And your job is to reign with Christ. And one day, you know how verses, if you're reading the Bible regularly, as you should be, uh, you know one day a verse jumped out at me, and it was this one in, in 2 Timothy 2.11. You know, I, I've been reading the scripture for years. I've probably read this passage 30 times already, but one day of maybe the 31st time I read it, and it said, Paul said, here's a trustworthy saying, if we died with him, we will also live with him. And now notice these next words, if we endure, we will also reign with him. 
And I went, rain? I really, this is my thought process. I'm like, rain? You mean like rule rain? Because the only kind of raining I know is a ruling raining kind of raining. So, I mean, we're going to reign with him? We're going to be in charge? And, and then Paul, down in verse 14, he says, keep reminding them of these things, that you're going to reign. And I thought, well, I don't want to get too crazy here. Uh, am I taking this verse out of context? Because the only reigning, like I say, that I know is where you're in charge. Uh, and so I decided I better look at the scripture and see what the scripture says. Are we really going to be reigning? And uh, indeed, the Lord originally created us to reign. It's hard, by the way, to find a church, uh, a church painting, a church-worthy painting that you can show of Adam and Eve. Uh, <laughs> uh, <clears throat> this, is, this is my favorite, however, because I love the jewels down at the bottom. I, I, this is my favorite painting of the Garden of Eden. The Lord originally created us to reign. And so, like I say, I started studying. I thought, well, let's see what the Scripture says. And so we, it come, we come to the first verse, the first verse of the first chapter of the first book of the Bible, the first verse of the first chapter of the first book of the Bible, the first words about humankind, and they are these. Let us make man in our image and in our likeness. No, so stop. The creator of the universe says, let's make man in our image and in our likeness. Next words out of his mouth. And let them rule over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the air and over the livestock and over all the earth and over all the creatures that move along the ground. God blessed them and said, be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the air and over every living creature that moves on the ground. So the very first thing that we know about humankind is God says, Let's make man in our image, we're going to make him like us, and give them the position of rulership or reigning. But you know that doesn't last. Uh, and there's another relatively modest painting um, uh, of Adam and Eve. I don't think that the snake actually had a head and a body, but like I say, go with it. Um, but of course, we know Satan fooled our first parents. Satan... Uh, lied to our first parents and so what happened is he conquered he conquered our first parents and so it says in acts 26 18 that the jesus jesus in fact said this the whole world is under the power of satan the whole world is under the power of satan he conquered our first parents it says in second timothy 2 25 those who oppose him he must gently instruct in the hope that god will grant them repentance leading them to a knowledge of the truth and that they will come to their senses. Boy, we need a lot of that today, don't we? A lot of people need to come to their senses. And escape the trap of the devil, notice, who has taken them captive to do his will. The whole human race is under the power of Satan now. Those only accepted who become born again. Um, and this passage here goes further with it. At Ephesians 2.1, As for you, you were dead in transgressions and sins in which you used to live when you followed the ways of the world and the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit that's now what? At work in those who are disobedient. And Joe and I were talking before the service over here about, talk about being at work. I mean, people don't know what a man or a woman is anymore. I mean, that could, I mean, ugh. Uh, then it goes on, all of us once lived among them at, that, at one time, gratifying the cravings of our sinful nature, following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were, notice this, by nature, objects of wrath. 
that before you become born again, you're by nature an object of wrath because you're just corrupt. You're a member of Adam's family. You need to get out of Adam's family. And see, we're not God's naturally born children. None of us are. You need to be adopted into a new family and then be filled with the Holy Spirit. Then, at that point, right, you can, uh, <clears throat> are you free from the power of Satan in your life? But then, of course, we also know, I'm kind of going through the whole history, right? And where's the scope of biblical history? We know that God, uh, or that Christ conquered Satan. That's my favorite, uh, um, my favorite depiction of the crucifixion is this one. It was done by a guy named Rembrandt. He was actually very good. But um, Christ, we know that Christ conquered Satan. And so it says, since the children have flesh and blood... He too shared in their humanity, this is very important, so that by his death, by his death, he might destroy him who holds the power of death, that is the devil, and free those who all their lives were held in slavery by their fear of death. And by the way, that verse is the key verse to my book, Immortal, how the fear of death drives us and what we can do about it. Notice that people are, that all people, the natural state is people are afraid of dying, those only accepted who have a robust view of eternal life in Jesus. Those are the only people that can get out of the fear of death is, I'm going to live forever. Uh, and so, but notice that Jesus conquered Satan by his death. Sure, the resurrection was wonderful, but it was by his death that Jesus conquered Satan. And now here's an amazing passage in Revelation. I'm not sure there are many unamazing passages in Revelation, but this is an amazing passage. And it says, And I saw an angel proclaiming in a loud voice, Who is worthy to break the seals and open the scroll? But no one in heaven or on earth or under the earth could open the scroll or even look inside of it. And John says, I wept and wept. Because no one was found who was worthy to open the scroll or look inside. And then it says in the next verse, Then one of the elders said to me, Do not weep. See, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, is conquered. Notice this. So, man, the lion of the tribe of Data, David, uh, the root of the lion of the tribe of Judah, rather, the root of David, he's conquered. He is able to open the scroll and its seven seals. And then John saw something rather amazing. He says, And then I saw a lamb looking as if it had been slain, standing in the center of the throne, encircled by four living creatures. So here we have again the picture of Jesus' death. That, In other words, the lion of the tribe of Judah is the slaughtered lamb who conquered. Notice that he conquered by allowing himself to be slaughtered. That's how he conquered. And so now you and I, now here's where it gets to you and I, now you and I are learning to conquer the world and we're learning to conquer Satan. That's what we're doing right now. That, by the way, and I encourage you to Google her name, uh, that is a, a painting of Perpetua, P-E-R-P-E-T-U-A, Perpetua, Google her name. You'll find the Diary of Perpetua. Perpetua was a young woman who in 202 A.D. Uh, was sent naked initially into the arena uh, to be killed uh, because she was a Christian. And if you read her diary, you know, she, her father, the judge was like, give your father a break for crying out loud and just flick some incense to Caesar and this won't happen to you. And she said, no. 
She says, I'm a Christian. And they were like begging her, don't do this to your father. And if you read her diary, she says, no, I'm a Christian. And that she was willing to walk naked into the arena to be killed by wild beasts. And that, believe it or not, is how she conquered. Uh, and she was killed. In fact, part of the story is that, she, that the, the first time the guy struck her with a sword, he didn't do a very good job. And so she helped uh, guide the sword so that he, uh, he would kill her uh, maybe the next time, right? Uh, she conquered. Now, you heard in Revelation, very important, that it was the, I saw a slaughtered lamb who conquered. A slaughtered lamb conquered. Now notice what it says about this, uh, us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it is written, for your sake we face death all day long and we are considered as sheep to be slaughtered. That's what the world looks at us as. We need, in fact, strangely, sadly, in some of the more radical fringes, you're actually, we need to get rid of the Christians. I mean, it's against the law now in Canada to say that homosexuality is a sin. It's actually against the law. Um, you can't do that in Canada. I, I have, if I wanted to, my mom was born in Canada. If I wanted to, I could be a Canadian citizen. And at one time, I thought that might be a kind of a cool thing. Not anymore. Uh, <laughs> I don't want to know. But notice it says, we are a sheep to be slaughtered. And I'm going to say something now that, frankly, I'm going to do a blog one of these days entitled Christianity's Fine Print. And this is not going to be the happiest news that you're going to hear. Uh, but it is true, nonetheless, and we need to make sure we're, we're on this. The Lord does not promise, and if, and if you think he does, show me the verse. The Lord does not promise that you will not be stripped naked, raped, and tortured to death. He doesn't promise that. Uh, now, believe me, I believe miracles still happen today, but I'm just telling you, the Lord does not promise. We need to understand what he does and doesn't promise, and I'm telling you something else. You know this if you're paying attention. In Afghanistan, there are men and women who are being tortured to death, and the women and probably some of the men, frankly, are being raped and tortured to death. That's happening now in Afghanistan because they are Christians. So we just need to understand it. So anyway, wasn't that, now you go, man, I'm feeling good. Um, but so he says, notice the words he uses here. Trouble or hardship, persecution, famine, nakedness, danger, or sword. Uh, you can be killed. He says, and the world considers us as sheep to be slaughtered. Then he says, of course, here's now it starts getting to the good stuff. No. In all, in, this is very important, in all these things, not by going around them, but by going through them and honoring God through them, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. Uh, for I am convinced that neither death, nor life, nor angel, neither angels, nor demons, neither the present, nor the future, nor any powers, neither height or depth, nor anything else in all of creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. So as there's an ironic nature to conquering, the ironic nature is as we continue to honor God through hardship, and I'm good, pray, pray for healing, pray for God to do a miracle, I'm good with it, go, absolutely. But if he doesn't, and even before he does, honor God through it, 
And as the world looks at us and sees us defeated, they look at us, yeah, we got them, we're going to kill them or rape them or whatever, uh, we're going to do terrible things to them, hopefully that, you know, that Afghanistan mindset doesn't come here anytime soon. But uh, as we honor God through it, there's an ironic nature of conquering. We conquer as we honor God through it, we conquer because we are uh, being examples of godliness and faithfulness in the heavenly realm. So, <clears throat> Job chapter 1, a lot of you are familiar with Job, of course, and Job was the richest man in all the world. Uh, he had all kinds of flocks, had more flocks than anybody else, sheep, camels, goats, you, know, you name it. His kids even got along. His kids were in each other, having meals in each other's houses. It was just a good time. The richest man in all the world. And it says that one day the angels presented themselves before the Lord, and Satan also came with them. And the Lord says to Satan, so what you been doing? He says, oh, I've been going up and down the earth and to and fro. I've been hanging out, just, you know. And the Lord says to him, have you considered my servant Job? He's a righteous man. And Satan says, well, there's the Lord says, and have you considered my servant Job? There's no one like him uh, on earth, a blameless and upright man who fears God and turns away from evil. I mean, points him out and says, this guy, he's honoring me. And Satan then says, answered the Lord, does Job fear God for no reason? Have you not put a hedge around him and his house and all that he has on every side? You've blessed the work of his hands and his possessions have increased in the land, but stretch out your hand and touch all that he has, and he'll curse you to your face. Now, uh, I just put that verse twice. Uh, now, what is the only thing, what's the only thing that Job had to do to humiliate Satan in the heavenly realms? He just had to continue to honor God through suffering. That's all he had to do, continue to honor God through suffering. And humiliates, that humiliates Satan in the heavenly realms. And, and there's, this is very important that we get a hold of this too. When Satan says this, he says, basically, I'm going to paraphrase. God, the Lord says to him, hey, look, you know, he's a righteous man. And basically what Satan says is, pshaw, you made his life easy. You've given him everything he wants. I mean, so what? And there's, a, there's I think, a hidden premise there. I think you could maybe think that Satan was thinking, if you'd given me everything that I wanted... I wouldn't have rebelled either. But you, but you gave this guy everything that he could want. So of course he serves you. Who wouldn't serve you if you gave him everything he wanted? See, the hidden premise. Uh, and so, of course, you know, the Lord says, okay, have Adam and uh, his, you know, I mean, his, his, his family is killed. All of his possessions are stolen. Uh, and then finally, you know, the, uh, he still honors God through that. And as he did honor God through that, said the Lord gives and the Lord takes away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. As he honored God through that, he justified the judgment of Satan in the heavenly realms. And he humiliated, by doing that, he humiliated Satan in the heavenly realms. Well, you know, it gets worse than the Lord strikes his body with Job's body and gives him boils all over his body. And he's sitting there and, you know, and taking pottery shards and just, you know, bursting the boils. If you read the passage and then one day his wife comes up to him and says, are you still holding on to your integrity? Curse God and die. Now that was an unsupportive moment. Um, and, and we will have that 
you know, people will look when you're suffering, people will look at you and they're going to go, oh, yeah, your God's nothing. Because look, you're suffering. But if you continue to honor God through it, there's an ironic nature to, to reigning because where you really want to be reigning ultimately is in the heavenly realms. And you want to humiliate Satan and justify his judgment. Um, <clears throat> you see, you and I conquer in this life. Conquering in this life is not about boardrooms and, board and, and classrooms. and uh, uh, It's not about battlefields. It's not about weapons. The real conquering. The real conquering is when you honor God through suffering. And again, I say, I'm not saying, hey, pray that God will get you out of it. Uh, I have, and I'll talk about that in just a minute. But if he doesn't get you out of it, honor God through it, and you justify the judgment of Satan in the heavenly realms. Now, you see the weird words call there. Uh, this is something that you don't have. Uh, because an incredible, people always go, maybe I've got it. Uh, I started about 20 years ago, 21 years ago, I started having lower back pain. And I thought, you know, I mean, and I, okay, well, people have lower, you know, back pain. It's nothing new. And it got worse and, and worse. And finally, I went and saw a, a regular, you know, general practitioner, doctor, and he takes some x-rays. And he says, you need to do stretching exercises. And the pain got worse, and the pain got worse. And this is now over a period of a year and a half or so, and I'm seeing doctors, and they're going, you need stretching exercises. Uh, and it got to the point where I couldn't sleep upstairs with, with Jeannie anymore because I was getting up so often because I needed to get up. And the pain sleeping would get so intense, I'd need to get up and walk it off. So I'd get up and walk, I'd walk it off, and then I'd go back to sleep. Um, and then an hour and a half later, I'd have to get up and walk it off again. And I finally went and saw an orthopedic surgeon, and he took some x-rays. I mean, for crying out loud, he's a specialist. I went and saw an orthopedic surgeon. He took some x-rays, and he says, he says uh, you need to see a physical therapist. And at this point, I'm like, no. No, I, this is much worse than that, but for crying out loud, I'm not a doctor. And Anyway, my next-door neighbor is a retired professor of surgery, and an atheist, by the way. We argue, we've argued a lot. Nicely, nicely, but we have argued a lot. Um, uh, but anyway, uh, he says, you know, Clay, he says, I'd get a CT. Well, all that Jeannie and I had at that time, I won't explain why, but we had like a disaster in health insurance policy. We had a $5,000 deductible. And this was like November, and I thought, I, don't, I think I've got something a lot more serious than this, and I don't want to pay the $5,000 deductible twice. And so what I did is I said, I'm going to wait until January to get a CT. Uh, obviously, it's coming out of my own pocket. So on January 2nd, which happened to be a Friday in 2004, I get a CT. And Monday, January 5th, right, so Friday to Monday in the morning, the phone rings, and I pick it up, and Gene picks up the other line, uh, and it's my orthopedic surgeon is on the phone. And I thought, this is very bad. This is really very bad. My orthopedic surgeon, it's not, his, it's not a nurse or a PA or, it's, or an assistant. It's him. And uh, he says, you, he says uh, you have a tumor on your spine. 
And uh, he says, and you need to see a doctor at Cedar sinai And I got into a little bit of an argument with him. I'm like, oh, no, I'm sure there's a doctor here. He says, no, you need to see this doctor at Cedar sinai And I'm like, no, no, I'm sure there's a, seriously, I did have a little you know, back and forth for a while. And he says, no, you need to see this doctor at Cedar sinai And uh, praise God, that was part of God's providence for me. Um, and I went, okay, I'll see this doctor at Cedar sinai who happened to be the, the director of the musculoskeletal tumor program. There you go. Um, but Jeannie, I, Jeannie and I, when we hung up the phone, Jeannie and I, uh, I, I went into her office, and both of us had tears streaming down our faces. Uh, and I always point that out because it's real. Uh, we had tears streaming down our faces, and we held hands. And yes, I asked for God to heal me. But I, the, to me, the most important thing that I did is I thank God for what it, the news I just received. And I said, Father, I thank you for this news, and I trust you. And I knew, I knew for, I knew absolutely for sure that I defeated Satan at the, in the heavenly realms at that moment. I knew I defeated Satan. Anyway, I saw this doctor at Cedar Sinai, and and things start started moving real fast. He schedules me, you know, I get scheduled for a biopsy, which. Hurt, by the way, in case you're wondering. Inquiring minds want to know. Uh, but, you know, a biopsy on your spine. Anyway, it was not good. Uh, but anyway, I, I get scheduled for this biopsy. And frankly, I'm kind of rushing, I think, the Lord. I, I needed to wait and be a little more patient. I'm trying to get in touch with my orthopedic oncologist. And finally, I get him, get him on the phone. I'm sure I bugged him. He wasn't going to talk to me yet. But he, he says, well, he says, if this is the kind of tumor that you have, we're not going to operate. Uh, we're going to start you on chemo, and if chemo shrinks the tumor, then we might choose to operate after maybe six months. We might operate. And well, I knew that's just disastrous. Jeannie did a mistake, which I don't recommend, and she Googled it, and it had the cancer that I was diagnosed with had a one, one, the, the diagnosed with had a 100% fatality rate in two years. Uh, in fact, it was the kind. Of, it was the same cancer that killed Robbie Zacharias. Um, anyway. I get, you know, I'm staggered. I hear this news. Jeannie again was on the phone listening in to him tell me this. He says, they, they, they might have made a mistake, though, because they don't see this kind of cancer very often. I see these kinds of things all the time. They might have made a mistake. Jeannie got off, and I got off the phone, and this time we met in the hallway, and we held hands, and with tears streaming down our faces, I led us in a prayer of thanksgiving to God, and I knew at that moment that I conquered Satan in the heavenly realms. I knew I'd conquered him. And that no matter what happened, I had just conquered Satan in the heavenly realms because I decided that I was going to honor God through suffering no matter what. And I conquered Satan in the heavenly realms. Uh, I, I'll, why not? Um, I, I, so I'm lying there when six days I don't know what kind of cancer I have. Because what happened is, is they decided, the guy, my orthopedic oncologist says, I need to see the slides myself. He looks at the slides, he says, I think they've made a mistake. He says, I'm going to operate. And so I end up, I end up going into the hospital uh, for an operation. I do not know what kind of, whether it's going to kill me cancer or whether it's you know, much less severe. I don't know what it is. But I'm lying there after six days. I still, it was six and a half hour surgery as they took out my tailbone, the bone above that, and half the bone above that to, uh, because of cancer. I'm lying there and I'm catheterized. And they said, uh, they said, uh, well, they came in to pull the catheter, you know, maybe I can go home. They said, we're not sure, though, that you're going to, 
probably haven't heard this word in church. We're, I could use a more formal word. They said, we're not sure you're going to be able to pee. Uh, so I could have used a more formal word. But anyway, uh, let's, we're, all, we're mostly adults here. And I think the kids understand, but they're not listening. Um, but and, and I, now, they, now they are. Yeah, they're, now they're listening. They weren't before, but we're in tune now. Uh, <laughs> anyway, so I'm lying there in the hospital bed. And they said, we're not sure. You may have to be catheterized for life. We don't know whether you have a cancer that's going to kill you or not. That we haven't, you know, they haven't told me. Uh, and uh, I, I told the Lord, I said, you know what? I am your servant, and I will take whatever you give me from your hand. And at that moment, I felt famous. Just the only person in the room with me was Jeannie, the only person in the room. And I thought, I feel famous before God. It's just the two of us because he sees me and the heavenly host sees me and they see that I'm going to honor God through whatever he brings upon me. And uh, by the way, uh, it turned out I had a much lesser form of cancer. Uh, they took it out. I didn't even have to go through chemo or radiation and never came back. And uh, yeah, well, praise God for that. Uh, but you know, your finest hour isn't having kids or getting married. That's not your finest hour. Your finest hour isn't getting married. Your finest hour isn't having kids. Your finest hour isn't sitting on the beach or becoming the president of a company or having a big fat 401k, which isn't easy to do now. That's not your finest hour. Your finest hour is when your life falls apart and you get earth-shattering news. Maybe that you've got a terminal disease. Whatever it is, you get earth-shattering news and the whole world will be watching you. Everybody you know is going to be watching you when they hear that you've got earth-shattering news and you say, I still honor God. That's your finest hour. And so as we're learning to conquer, listen to this. It says, and they conquered him, Satan, by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of their testimony, for they loved not their lives even under death. In other words, they were willing to die for Jesus, and that conquers Satan. Is being willing to die for Jesus conquers Satan. And of course, you know this verse, for our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. That's who we're fighting against. The real conflict, see, the real conflict isn't political. I mean, it's certainly a conflict. It's a big one. But that's not the real conflict. The real conflict is in the heavenly realms. And the biggest part of that is honoring God so that you justify the judgment of Satan and his minions who say, who've been saying to God, you set the bar too high. See, Satan has said, why did he rebel? Why does anybody rebel? You're not giving me my fair due. You should have been giving me more than you are. That's why anybody rebe any creature rebels. And so Satan said, you, you didn't give me all that I deserved. I should have had more. You, you've set the bar too high. Uh, and um, the thing about setting the bar too high, see, that's saying God is unjust, that God is unfair, that you're, and, and thus he's the accuser of the brethren, right? Satan is the accuser of the brethren. And before Satan died on the cross... Uh, Satan had a point. Before Jesus died on the cross, I'll say that one more time. Before Jesus died on the cross, Satan had a point. Namely, how come you're letting these people into heaven 
and they're sinners like anybody else. Nobody, nobody keeps your laws. Nobody is keeping your rules perfectly. And Satan had a point until Jesus died on the cross. And if you read Revelation chapter 12, it's at Re- it says that when about the death of Jesus, about his coming in Revelation 12, then Satan lost his place in heaven and the accuser of the brethren, it says, was cast down, right? So, uh, so, that's, so th- that's what's going on with that. And so we need, we then, and the verse I quoted you in Revelation, I'm going to go back to it. Eh, too far. Oh, well. Uh, anyway, we conquer in this life when the most difficult things that can possibly come upon us, um, we honor God through it. And so <clears throat> it says, everyone born of God overcomes the world. This is the victory that overcomes the world, even our faith. And that's the Greek word again, Nike. You could translate that conquer. Everyone who's born of God conquers the world. Uh, Proverbs 16.32 says, he who is slow to anger is better than, he, uh, than, than the mighty, and he who rules the spirit than he who takes a city. And what you and I need to do, if you want to be somebody who reigns with Christ and conquers, you need to learn to reign in your brain. You need to learn to reign in your brain. There's the big battle. If you can reign in your brain, you can reign anywhere. You need to learn to reign in your brain. You need to be able to take care of your brain. Uh, And so, now the last point is, and we, you and I, shall reign forever and ever and ever and ever. That is your eternal occupation. You see, we conquer in this life when we believe that obeying God thwarts the most sinister and powerful foes in the universe. If we obey God even if people hurt us or we take our property or we get sick or it looks like following God will end in our deaths, then we humiliate Satan in the heavenly realms and we justify the judgment of Satan and his minions. That they deserve what they're getting because of what we're doing. Now, let me just, these scriptures might make a little more sense. Jesus says in, in Luke 12, 32, Do not be afraid, little flock. It's your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. He's not just letting you visit it. He's giving it to you. Luke chapter 12, verse 44, says that faithful and wise, I tell you the truth, will be put in charge of all his possessions. You're going to be in charge of them. And the parable of the talents, the Lord Jesus says to the, he says, my good servant, his master replied, because you've been trustworthy and in small matter, take charge of 10 cities. You're in charge. You're going to be in charge of the kingdom. It's funny, I had a, one of the very first times I taught this, probably 17 years ago, a woman came up to me and she said, I don't want to reign over others. And I thought that was one of the most ridiculous things I'd ever heard because she happened to be a major equestrian owner. She owned two horses. She literally, I know it's spelled differently, she literally reigned over them. I mean, she was literally, you know, I mean, making them, she loved reigning over other creatures. Um, I get, I, these pictures here, I get kind of a kick out of these. You know, I mean, these are all people who are reigning over other creatures. That last picture on the lower left, or lower right rather, that was uh, Jeannie and I holding a stingray. I was holding a stingray in my arms in Grand Cayman. Uh, this was pre-Steve Irwin, by the way. Uh, I would not, post-Steve Irwin, I would not have thought of. He, he post, oh, you held one? At the Bahamas, I made her hold a big one like that. Yeah, and I'm sitting in the, it's trying to get out of my arms. And I'm, no, you stay here, you bad boy. And uh, <laughs> I've got, you know, I mean, they just scoot the, the guy in this little charter boat we were with. He just scoop him off the sand floor. And hand, I've got this thing. We love reigning over other creatures. Uh, and, you know, um, 
I, I get a kick out of a picture like this. Uh, here's a guy, I mean, look at the paws in that dude. Oh my gosh. Uh, he, 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 he could eat him real quick. But we can, the Lord intends to have us reigning. He's going to make us reign. And, and by the way, do you know that we're going to judge angels? We, you and I, you honor Christ through trouble, through suffering, through hardship. You're actually going to judge angels. What does it say here? Do you not know that the saints will judge the world, that you're going to judge the, the people who have rejected Jesus, that at the judgment you're going to participate in their judgment? Uh, and then it says, and do you not know that we will judge angels? How much more are the things of this life? We're going to judge angels. Why? Would you and I be qualified to judge the world and to judge angels? Why would you be qualified to do that? Because, well, this passage here uh, brings it in, brings it, it makes the point. <clears throat> Luke 11, verses 29 to 30 begins, uh, This is a wicked generation. It asks for a miraculous sign, but none will be given it except a sign as Jonah. For as Jonah was assigned to the Ninevites, so the Son of Man will be to this generation. Then Now listen, here's the key. The queen of the south will rise up at the judgment with the men of this generation and condemn them, for she came from the ends of the earth to listen to Solomon's wisdom, and now one greater than Solomon is here. What's Jesus saying? What he's saying is, is probably from Ethiopia, it's certainly what the Ethiopians think, some queen down in Africa, she hears that there's a guy that knows God in Jerusalem, uh, hundreds of miles away. She says, saddle up the camels, Load them up. We're going to Jerusalem because I want to meet a guy that I happen to just hear a rumor about that knows God. Uh, in the meantime, Jesus is talking to a bunch of people where he's doing miracles in front of them, and they don't believe him. And Jesus says, the queen of the south is going to rise up with this generation and condemn it because she had so much less evidence than you do, and yet she honored God and followed him. Similarly, he says... The men of Nineveh will rise up and stand up at the judgment with this generation and condemn it, for they repented at the preaching of Jonah, and now one greater than Jonah is here. What? So some guy named Jonah, you know, he gets barfed out of a, some big fish's mouth onto the beach, and, and he goes through the town. He doesn't even like the Ninevites. He just, guys, God's going to kill you all, and uh, he, he's had it with you. He's going to kill you all, and uh, they repent. That's it, because some weird guy named Jonah just goes through the town and goes, God hates you, or he's not, I don't know, he probably didn't say that, but he says, God's going to kill you because you're a bunch of evil sinners, and they repent. What's, how much evidence do they have? Hardly any. The principle is, if those of us who, you know, the Lord, the Lord gives enough evidence of his existence so that those who want to believe will have their beliefs justified, but not so much evidence of his existence that those who don't want to believe will be forced to feign loyalty. Uh, and so, as you and I respond to the evidence that we have, which is primarily, by the way, the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, he really was raised from the dead, as we respond to this evidence and go, Jesus really was raised from the dead, I really am a Christian, and the world goes, ah, it's not enough evidence, and God's not good, and, and I don't want to have anything to do with a God like that. You, because you honored God through suffering and proved to the world that you are honorable through suffering, you justify their judgment. And so you will stand up at the judgment and say, your judgment is fair. Your judgment is just. And that includes not just men, humans, but that includes angels. So this is kind of an amazing verse to me. Uh, 
Ephesians 3.10, his intent was that now, present active, through the church, the manifold wisdom of God should be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly realms. Do you understand this? Right now, through you guys, as you honor God, especially through suffering, as you continue to honor God, I'm, by the, I'll say for the last time, I have no problem praying that God makes, takes the suffering away. Uh, you know, I certainly did when I had cancer. I have no problem with that. But if he doesn't take it away, and sooner or later something's going to kill us, uh, uh, but if he doesn't do that, if you honor God through the suffering, you show yourselves to be a worthy inheritor of the kingdom of God, and the, and the, the heavenly host is watching you right now, and as you continue to honor God through suffering, they're going, I, they're learning, Right? The manifold, through the church, that's you, you're the church, the manifold wisdom of God is being made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly realms that they're going, uh, they're learning lessons from you. So I told you the first chapter of the first book of the Bible, in fact, the first verse of the first chapter of the first book of the Bible about humankind, Genesis 1.26, is let's make man in our image and in our likeness and let them rule. Well, if you open to the middle of the Bible, basically, you just went in half, Daniel chapter 7, verse 18 says, But the saints of the Most High, that's you, will receive the kingdom and possess it forever. And then he says, and notice this, I'm going to emphasize this, yes, forever and ever, then down in verse 27, then the sovereignty, power, and greatness of the kingdoms under the whole heaven will be handed over to the saints, the people of the Most High. His kingdom will be an everlasting kingdom, and all rulers, that's you, will worship and obey him. That's, your, that's God's plan for your life. Oh, rulers. Notice this verse here. Revelation 2.26. To him who overcomes. Again, that's the Greek word Nike. You could translate it conquer. Translations. Some translations you con- use conquer. Others use overcome. To, I like conquer. Maybe it's because of, I don't know, male kind of thing. But anyway. Uh, to him who conquers or overcomes and does my will to the end. Listen. I will give authority over the nations. Just as I've received authority from my Father, I will give him the morning star. He who has an ear. Then he, there's this divine listen up. Do you hear what I'm saying? He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Do you hear it, church? Do you hear it? He's, gonna, he's saying, I'm going to let you rule. Non-Christians go, blah, blah, blah. But, but if, if you're a Christian, if you're in Jesus, hear what the Spirit says. Uh, and then it says, and God has raised us up uh, with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms. The next line I didn't print, I should have. It says, uh, um, and so that in the coming ages he might show the wonders of his grace. That in the coming ages, I, I should have printed that. Anyway, one more verse on this before we conclude. Uh, act two more, actually. Revelation 3.21 says, To him who overcomes. To, overcomes what? Overcomes suffering. Overcomes persecution. Does God's will, when the chips are down, when things are looking bleak, continues to honor God. To him who overcomes adversity, who honor, continues to honor God, he says, I will give the right to sit with me on my throne just as I overcame and sat down with my father on his throne. He was an ear. Let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Listen up. Do you hear it, church? You're, you're going to be sitting down with him on his throne. I told you the first verse... The first verse of the first chapter of the first book of the Bible about humankind, Genesis 1.26 is, let's make man in our image and in our likeness and let them rule. Then the last chapter of the last book of the Bible, in fact, the last verse of the last chapter of the last book of the Bible before the epilogue, 
Revelation 22. The epilogue in Revelation is, don't add to these things, don't take away from them, lo, I'm coming quickly, right? That's the epilogue. The last verse of the last chapter of the last book of the Bible uh, before the epilogue is this. And there will be no more night, and they will not need the light of a lamp or the light of the sun, for the Lord will give them light, and they will reign forever and ever. So the first thing we know about humankind is that God created you to rule. God created you to reign. Satan messed everything up. Adam and Eve goofed it and let him uh, conquer them. But now we, through hardship and suffering and honoring God in the midst of difficulties, we are conquering the world and conquering Satan right now and justifying the judgment of beings that rebelled against him. And the last thing, so the first thing it says, God created us to rule. The last verse that it says about humankind is, and they will reign forever and ever. Does this sound like a fairy tale to you? Does this sound like Snow White or sleep? Oops, I caught it kind of here. Um, it mostly hit my leg. <laughs> I don't need to open it again, actually, because I'm, uh, that's okay. Uh, well, I'm, only, I'm done. I'm, anyway, but here we go. And I'm going to honor God through suffering and hardship. Anyway, does this sound like a fairy tale to you? Uh, does this sound like Snow White or Sleeping Beauty, where a young woman falls into the clutches of evil? And uh, one day, a prince comes along and rescues her from the clutches of evil and takes her off into his kingdom where they, will be, where they will live happily ever after. Does Christianity sound like a fairy tale? Uh, where the, does Christianity sound like a fairy tale where the human race falls into the clutches of evil only to one day be rescued by the prince of peace who comes and... and, and brings us, rescues us from the power of Satan, and takes us off into his kingdom where, where we will reign forever and ever? Does Christianity sound like a fairy tale? Well, if it does, you have it exactly backwards. Fairy tales sound like this. This precedes the Brothers Grimm. This way precedes the Brothers Grimm. The fairy tales are picking up on the biggest story of the universe. The fairy tales are picking up on the biggest story of creation. And so... Do, you, do we get it, saints of God? Do we understand this? Um, you get it. We're getting it all. He's, not, he's giving you the kingdom. Not just any kingdom, but the kingdom. And when he comes, there won't be any other. He talks about ruling over cities. He talks about reigning over cities. He talks about being in charge of true riches. But then in the meantime... He tells us to be faithful over things here. The things that seem so big to us, right? In the meantime, he says, be faithful over things here. The things that seem so big to us. But then he tells us that the things that seem so big to us are small. Well, my brothers and sisters in Christ, if we think these small things big, what are we going to do when we see really big things? Well, really big things come, and you're going to reign over them, and you're going to do this with Jesus this is God's plan for your life. It's always been the plan. 
It's been a pleasure to be with you today. And why don't I close this in a word? Well, you probably want to close in a word. We never talked about how to close. Anyway, Father, I just pray for these, uh, my brothers and sisters in you. And I'm thankful to be with them. And I'm thankful for this church. And I'm excited to see the love and the joy among them. Uh, I pray that you would reveal to them the glory that awaits them in heaven forever. And that they would learn to make that the focus of their lives. Uh, Thank you, Father, for the chance to be with them. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you. It's been a pleasure.